Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? Last week, Lithuania got a new prime minister. Those of you who have listened to this podcast before probably know my mother is Lithuanian. This has led to some discussion about whether or not this was a sign that Lithuania was becoming more equal, because she obviously appointed a bunch of women to her cabinet. So this week I've just been thinking about Lithuania in terms of it as a country, and in terms of gender equality, also just how come not a lot of people know about it. So there's a video on YouTube by a Lithuanian guy, and it's literally called My Country that you know nothing about. And he explains everything about Lithuania. And it's apparently the centre of Europe. There's Mm -hmm. a monument in Lithuania marking the centre of Europe. It's recognised in the Guinness Book of World Records. So any other country that claims to be the centre of Europe are wrong. (laughs) Okay, it's a fact. And just the images and the things about this country that I learnt in this 10-minute video. It's 10 minutes, but he speaks really fast. I normally watch all my YouTube videos at 1.25 or one and a half times speed, which I did for this one. Then I realized you just cannot do it for this video. He's very cute. He says a lot of things, but it looks like such a beautiful country. They have beaches, they have lakes, they have these hills full of crosses. So much. And one of my things for next year is if I go to one place, it's got to be Lithuania. And hopefully with Rina. So I can just give you some fun facts about Lithuania. Lithuania in Lithuanian is called Lietuva, which literally translates to rain here. Yeah, so the name is supposed to symbolize the abundance of rain in their fertile land. It is an incredibly flat country. The highest point is 293 meters. 33% of the country is boggy marshland. The Baltic coast has the largest known natural amber deposit in the world, which is when you go there, you'll get amber everywhere. And if you come over to my house, you will see amber everywhere. My mother wears a lot of amber jewelry. A really interesting and fun fact about Lithuania is that Latvian and Lithuanian are the only two surviving Baltic languages. In fact, Lithuanian is the oldest Indo-European language still in use today. A lot of words used in Lithuanian are almost identical to old Sanskrit words. For example, the word for rain or their word for gods. So it's a tiny country. There's only 2.7 million people, which just to give you a comparison, Berlin has 3.6 million people in it. So its population is smaller than Berlin. Can I ask you a question about language? Of course. Because going back to the politics and what this coalition, the policies that they might put forward, Mm -hmm. among them are legislating for same-sex partnerships, decriminalizing small possession of marijuana, ratifying the Istanbul Convention, and allowing to write non-Lithuanian names with the diacritics of the original language. Is this from the Freedom Party? This is what the Freedom Party was. Yeah. From what I understand, Lithuania and Poland kind of have a bit of a... They have a bit of a history. At one point, they were a commonwealth, the Lithuanian-Polish commonwealth, and since then, they've sort of knocked heads a little bit. It's a bit like siblings, isn't siblings, it? Siblings, yeah. And they have this thing where your name has to be transcribed into Lithuanian. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. So if you have a Polish last name, you can't have your name written the way you want it in Polish. You have to have it translated. I don't know if that's the right word. Sort of mm-hmm. like to adapted Lithuanian. to Lithuanian rules. We have that in Germany as well. I feel like people don't know this. 
when my family came to Germany, they weren't allowed to write their name the way it's supposed to be written in Lithuanian because there's extra letters in it or the Z has a hat on it. And they weren't allowed to do that either. So people mispronounce our name all the time. To the like name thing with Lithuanian Poland, it's literally just goes back to tensions between the two countries. But also what's really interesting about names is when a Lithuanian woman gets married, her name becomes conjugated. And this relates to gender equality. So straight-talking females in Lithuania are still referred to as women with balls, which shows you just how masculine that is in its outlook. Mm-hmm. Also, Lithuania ranks 22 out of 28 countries in the EU Gender Equality Index. So it scores 56.3 points out of 100 and is well below the EU average and has dropped four places since 2010. So the big question in Lithuania is, of course, what will this female-led government make a difference? Will it be like the Finnish-led government? And Lithuania is kind of very north. It's like a Scandinavian country, and the Scandinavians are very equal in terms of gender. So those are the questions that are being raised right now. Yeah, so the thing with the conjugated last names is, I'm just going to use my mom's last name as an example. So my grandfather and my uncle, their last name is Jagarinskas, with a K-A-S. My grandmother conjugated her last name is Jagarinskiane, to indicate that she is married, and my mom is Jagelinskaite, to indicate that she's an unmarried woman. It's very common in a lot of, like in Russia, you do it as well. If you see a woman's name with an A, you know she's an unmarried woman, because as a daughter, you take your dad's last name plus an A. What you say about Lithuania and Scandinavian countries is actually super interesting, because if you watch a lot of news reports, or a lot of like, every single one of the videos refers to the fact that Lithuania used to be part of the Soviet Union, and it drives me absolutely crazy. This is a country that has existed since the 1230s when Mindaugas united the country. This is a country that has such a long history, and all people can focus on is the fact that it was occupied by the Soviet Union for a short period of time in its entire history. Lithuania has the fastest internet in Europe. We are some of the tallest people in all of Europe. We're really good at basketball, and people love basketball. There are so many interesting facts about the country, the language, the food, the culture, and yet all American-centered media can focus on is the fact that we used to be a Soviet Union country. And it sort of undermines any progress or anything about the country. Like, they're seen as the hub for startups in the North. Oh, right. The only thing we're ever going to mention and talk about is the fucking Soviet Union. And they're often seen as an East country then and not a Northern country, whereas geographically they're probably closer to the North. Absolutely. And if you look at the national dress, it resembles the Scandinavian national dress more than it does any of the other Eastern European. And geographically, it is in the North. If you don't know where Lithuania is, it is sandwiched between Poland, a little weird Russian enclave, Belarus and Latvia, and it's on the same latitude as Sweden. So if you know where Gotland is in Sweden, if you literally travel a little bit east, you hit Lithuania. So it has more in common with Scandinavian countries. Lithuanians are known for being blonde and blue-eyed and tall, which I feel like are stereotypes you more, you know, are associated a lot with Scandinavian countries. So this classification of it as a Eastern European country, its cuisine does kind of resemble a lot of Eastern European cuisine, but that's because that's what grows there. It's potatoes, meat, beetroot, and sour cream. Yes, everything has sour cream on it. Also, they don't understand the concept of vegetarianism. There is absolutely no Lithuanian dish 
that comes to mind was salti barche. But other than that, do you want to explain what salti barche is? Salti barche is a cold beetroot soup, and you put dill on it and sour cream, and the base of it is buttermilk, and you eat it with eggs, and it's very good. It's very acidic. It's got a very strong taste. I've had Rina's version. It's the best. Back onto the Soviet Union, though, I was really inspired also to see how the Lithuanians, Lithuania was the first country to gain its independence from the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And they did that with this massive human chain that consisted of two million people. And then they did it again recently in solidarity with Belarus, which is just when you see those images, it's really inspiring. Yeah. So my grandma was part of that human chain. Potentially, if you've listened to some of your other episodes, you know that my grandparents unwillingly left Lithuania and came to Germany as refugees because the Soviet Union deported a lot of Lithuanians to Siberia. They would just come and raid houses in the night and they would just grab you and take you to Siberia. So as I mentioned, on her way home from work, she used to take this shortcut that led her past this clearing near a forest and she would see the gray trucks lined up and so she would know that night oh they're going to be raids so she went home told her family and they would all disperse and they would sleep in the forest they would just hide because i feel like people don't know that siberia was they were like concentration camps and siberia was for like so that they would just do labor in yeah, siberia was, yeah, yeah yeah so it was you were sent to siberia and you would basically they would work you to death it was freezing so I read this really famous book. It's called One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich by the Russian writer and Nobel laureate Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Sorry, probably not. Basically, the whole novel is one day in a Siberian concentration camp. But the plot is that Ivan, who's in the concentration camp, was accused of becoming a spy, and that's why he was there. He was in the forced labor camp. And I think the writer also, he was there because of some, like, dissent, right? So I always assumed that everyone who was there was kind of an enemy of the Russian state in some way. Not that they would just randomly sort of round up anyone, whoever, mm -hmm. which is shocking. And I would really recommend this book to everyone because it shows you just how cold and terrible and grueling these days were and people just lived there for the rest of their lives until they died they were slaves and it's not really talked about it's awful yeah and they did this in all all the occupied countries not just lithuania but yeah back to back to the baltic way so obviously that this was the big pr campaign that they did to draw attention to the fact that they were occupied leading up to independence lithuanians did fight for their independence with violence right i feel like overall a lot of the time we try to push this narrative not just in lithuania but in any countries that everything is done in a peaceful manner but in fact there were these guerrilla fighters who waged war starting from the 1940s so they were known as the lithuanian partisans the Lietuvos Partizanai. Sorry, mom. There were also similar groups in Latvia and in Estonia, and roughly 30,000 of them were killed. And actually, the European Court of Human Rights now treats Soviets' annihilation of the Lithuanian partisans as a genocide. In the fight and the leading up into independence, it was, you know, they fought for this with blood. So on August 23rd, 1988, a big rally took place in the park in Vilnius, which apparently 250,000 people attended, calling for independence. 
And then a year later is when the Baltic Way happens. On March 11th, 1990, the Supreme Council announced the restoration of Lithuania's independence, and Lithuania became the first Soviet-occupied state to declare independence. So then on April 20th, 1990, the Soviets imposed an economic blockade by ceasing to deliver supplies of raw materials, primarily oil, to Lithuania. Population obviously started to feel this because there was a lack of fuel, essential goods, and they even caught water. And the block lasted for 74 days, but Lithuania did not back down. Tension peaked again in January 1991. The Soviet armed forces, they tried to stage a coup, but people from all over the country, and keep in mind it's a small country, you can drive across the entire country in four hours, flooded into the capital Vilna, the Soviet army opened fire. They killed 14 people. They ran over two people with their tanks. They just fired live rounds into groups of people. Actually, the first country to recognize Lithuania's independence was Iceland. But yeah, so March 11th, 1990 is formally recognized as the new independent day. It should be said that Lithuania had just sort of been declared an independent state in 1918. And then shortly afterwards, the Soviet Union came in, then the Nazis came, then the Soviet Union took them back. So they've just, they haven't had a, a good time as of recently, but they're getting there. They're, you know, slowly increasing their GDP. They're getting over the Soviet style depression. They are still depressed. They have the highest suicide rate, I think. Alcoholism is a huge problem. They drink a lot. Although I think that also the the rate in which they drink is declining. As of recently, though, they have been accused of not handling the coronavirus crisis that well. In fact, today they actually hit another daily record with 3,330 cases a day, which doesn't sound like that much, but keep in mind, the entire country is smaller than Berlin. In terms of coronavirus, they also, like Denmark, are one of the biggest producers of mink fur. And we have this problem now with the coronavirus where it's gone into mink populations and it has mutated. So when we talked about the vaccine the other day, most of the vaccines are built around recreating this spike. But if the spike changes, it could be that there's a mutation of the coronavirus that vaccines might not even be effective against. So they're also going to look at maybe a, a cull. Got almost as many mink as people. More than a million. Their defense budget went up by 232% over the last decade. The reason for this? They're terrified of Russia. They saw what Russia did in the Ukraine, and they were like, absolutely not. So they have a bunch of NATO soldiers at the border. My aunt was there around the time that Russia annexed Crimea, and she told me that they had soldiers lining the border because they were terrified that they would be next. So that makes sense why they're increasing their military budget so much. That's interesting because apparently the state coffers are very low right now. They don't have much money, even though the International Monetary Fund has predicted that the Lithuanian economy will contract only by 1.8%, which is the smallest drop in Europe. And they're predicting the GDP growth of 4.1% next year. What's really cool is the woman who's going to be the economy minister, Osreen Armonaite. She's only 31. And Osreen is whispering. <laughs> She's unmarried. Do we want to talk about that? Is everyone unmarried? I don't think all of them are unmarried. Well, it goes back to this thing where you they were saying that how it's quite a 
a tough male-centric society and women, tough women are still referred to as women with balls. So I think that, yeah, I think that in order to sort of succeed in politics there, which probably could be said for anyone, right? If you look at Hillary Clinton, how she had to present herself and navigate the political world. But yeah, a lot of their politicians are quite unmarried, tough looking women, amazing women, but their image is so carefully crafted because they have to walk a delicate line between being a woman but not being too overly feminine but like also not being too mannish in this sexist society. It's, it's tough out there. Aister Ramanaita, a professor at the Institute of International Relations and Political Science at Vilnius University, said... To me, the high number of women in the new government is more of a coincidence, the result of the swinging of a political pendulum rather than the aftermath of a societal and cultural shift, for example, like the one that Scandinavia has seen. Also, analyst of a daily Lithuanian newspaper called Breveris says it's definitely not a trend or a cultural shift. Lithuania has not yet seen a major breakthrough on gender equality, mm -hmm. and neither has the political parties. Frankly, to me, the jubilant emphasis on women's prevalence in the coalition and the government is sexist in its core. Underneath it lies quite a deplorable situation of women in Lithuania, where women are still being considerably underpaid and misrepresented in various power structures. The woman who is in power is part of technically she's independent independent candidate but she's strongly associated with the homeland union which is the conservative party so i feel like if you have women of a conservative nature in power that's not really a sign of progress so one of the women who is proposed to be in the cabinet for the justice ministry her name is Dobrovolska also unmarried there was a big debate on social media about tattoos on her upper chest and she said if I were a man not a woman and a pole by nationality I'd not fall under such scrutiny and then the last prime minister whose name is Solius Skavernelis I don't know if I'm pronouncing that wrong probably sorry made a really weird comment which was I believe my colleague Ingrida is really brave very 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 brave he said she is an experienced captain, but with such a crew as hers, I would not sail across the ocean even as a passenger, which is so sexist. It's like saying, I'm not getting into a car if a woman is driving, or plane if there's a female pilot. And very, very, very brave. I mean, it's almost, con you know, like, oh, you're so, 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 so brave. There's something patronizing about it, isn't it? Totally the worst comment. Anyway, she's interesting because she's sort of leading this fight, which you mentioned before, or not leading, but she's part of this fight to have Polish names recognized and they represent a minority. Because I think that, I think it's something like 88% of the population identify as... Lithuanian, and then the smallest percentages are Polish, Russian, and other Slavic nations. Yeah, so Lithuania ranks as being a moderate risk when it comes to corruption, so they do have a long way to go as a country, but I also think that they are quite a young country. They're only 30 years old, and they're getting progressively better. They've just 
opened an inquiry into claims of torture within Belarus. So, you know, with that dictator in power in Belarus, people have fled over the border and come to Lithuania and have made claims of torture. And so Lithuania has opened a criminal investigation into whether or not these claims of torture are correct. Lithuania is currently harboring Svetlana, I can't say her name, Tikhanovskaya, who was running against Lukashenko in Belarus. She ran away and she's currently hiding in Lithuania and he has threatened to post sanctions on Lithuania in response to this. But all this political turmoil and harboring people. Lithuania is an incredibly beautiful country. People describe the country as being incredibly creepy, which maybe has to do with the fact that 33% of the country is boggy marshland. And I think someone on some forum said that the entire country is like a horror film. But Lithuania actually has something super interesting where it was one of the last European countries to convert to Christianity. So a lot of pagan traditions are still very much alive in the country. And there's a lot of things about witches and the devil. And there's this hill filled with thousands of crosses. So there is something kind of creepy about this country. Definitely. I was reading about Christmas traditions in Lithuania. And they put straw underneath the tablecloth still haven't figured out why, which is actually a pagan tradition, but now it ties into, you know, the manger and straw and stuff like that, so it can also be interpreted as, you know, a Christian Mm -hmm. tradition. They keep these pagan traditions alive more than any other sort of nation within Europe, so I think that's where this creepiness comes from. Yes, also another Christmas tradition is a spell, doing spells. There's also a tradition of single people picking straws so that they know when they're going to meet their partner, which brings us on to our three things to be a good Lithuanian this week. Thing one, it's bad luck to whistle in a house in Lithuania. In fact, they say that if you whistle in the house, it'll blow up and burn down. When I whistle in the house, my grandmother yells Sistunas at me, which I'm told means the whistler, but I've tried Googling it and not found anything, but she still yells it at me. So don't whistle in the house. Actually, I've tried and tested that method because I can't whistle and my house is still standing. Thing number two, if you're looking for a really interesting place to visit, visit Lithuania. And if you want to join Rina and I next year, it gets very cold in winter. I looked up the temperature today, it's minus three. So we'll not be going there now and also Corona, but maybe next summer. And thing three, maybe Lithuanian up your food. Put sour cream on some stuff. Have some sauté barche. And if you need a hand, in this week's newsletter, we are including Rina's grandmother's recipe for Cassilius, which is a cranberry drink. It's usually used as like a palate cleanser. It's incredibly easy and delicious. We have it around Christmas in my family. I don't know what is custom in other families. Well, it seems very Christmassy because of vitamin C. So enjoy being a good Lithuanian this Christmas. Until next week. Labas. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsession with us. Tweet us and follow us on Instagram at the underscore misinformed or email us at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. Find the link via our Instagram or our show notes. We are an independent nonprofit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can give a one-off donation via SoundCloud or become a patron on patreon.com slash misinformed. Thanks for listening and until next week.